Hi, this is Shauna. Before we get to today's guest, I want to take a minute to learn more about you, the listener. We've put together a short survey at fueltalent.com slash podcast to gather information on who's listening and to give you a chance to make suggestions and comments about the show. I want What Fuels You to be a great resource for you and your interests, and I hope these interviews give you practical advice along with inspiration for your career and life. Help us continue to serve you better by going to fueltalent.com slash podcast. Thank you so much. Now let's start today's show. Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories, the years, and successes. Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Matt Ehrlichman. Matt is the CEO, chairman, and founder of Porch Group, a Seattle-based vertical software platform for the home. Porch's mission is to help home services companies grow and through these relationships to help make the most simple from moving to maintenance and everything in between. Prior to founding Porch, Matt created his first technology startup, Thriva, in his dorm room at Stanford University, where he also received his Bachelor of Science in Entrepreneurial Engineering and Master of Science in Management Science and Engineering. In 2007, he sold Thriva to Active Network for $60 million and went on to become Active Network's Chief Strategy Officer, where during his five-year tenure, Active grew from $60 million to more than $420 million in revenue and IPO'd in 2011. Matt currently lives in Seattle with his wife and three children. Welcome, Matt. Great to see you. Nice to be here. Okay, I know you're, I know you're a Hawks fan, um, so my rapid-fire first question is, who's your favorite Seahawk? Oh man, that's a good question. I mean, it it bounces around um, a little bit year to year. I'm gonna go with Chris Carson. I just like the way that he runs. Uh, okay. Hard hard nosed guy. I love it. Um, what have you read, listened to, or watched in the past year that you would recommend? Um, the Outliers book. I would recommend. I thought it was. I thought it was great. Uh, has me and me really make some different choices, even with with our with our business. So I'd recommend that. Oh, I watched um, uh, The Boys was a recent show that I watched. I actually thought it was pretty fun. I'm, I'm into superheroes. Oh, nice. Okay, I want to hear about your business um, in high school, but I'm guessing maybe you were an athlete. What was your favorite sport when you were a kid? I did. I grew up playing lots of stuff, but the basketball, soccer, tennis were my, were my main three. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, do they, no, we've got fall, soccer, winter, basketball, spring, tennis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Actually back then it was flipped around. Soccer was spring, tennis was fall, but yeah, I was able to, able to play all those. Yeah. Awesome. So in general, do you make decisions in life based on data or gut? I'd have to say both. I, I, I think, inform yourself with data, but then, you know, there's certain choices, important choices. You have to trust your gut um, and just, just go with it. So yeah, very, very much both. I am very data oriented. My team would, would say, you know, I'm very data oriented, but, um, but at the end of the day, you know, there, there's key choices in life. You just have to trust yourself. Well, I'm guessing, and our listeners will get into the story of porch. I'm guessing you're sitting on a shit ton of data right now. (laughs) Like I can't even imagine. So are you an introvert or an extrovert? Introvert. 
Nice. Are you a trained extrovert? I've had a lot of CEOs on who are like, well, I have to be an extrovert for my job, but technically I'm an introvert. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy spending time with people and you, you know, I, all day long I'm spending time with people, but you know, at the end of the day, when it's done, I, I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy. I, you know, work super hard, trying to build a great company, um, do that with a group of people I care about deeply and then spend time with my family. You know, and I'm all in being trying to be a great husband, be a great dad. And so uh, it's a pretty simple life in that regard. Yeah. I don't even know how you're balancing it all. We will get to it. But um, are you water or mountains? Uh, I mean, I, I, it is both, but I'd, I'd side to water if I had to. Yeah. Lake or ocean? Uh, we, we love going out to Seabrook and doing the ocean, but it's like, I mean, we go down here yeah. to, to Lake Washington during the summer and, and just love getting out there. It's the best. I cannot wait to jump in the lake. We're getting close. Um, is there a person who, this is a tough one because everyone feels obligated to say one of their parents, but minus your parents, is there a person that you most admire? There's a number of people. I, I, I'm going to point to um, Warren Buffett, though. I really have appreciated uh, how he's structured his company uh, and how he's you know, delegated and how he's you know, built this, this decentralized organization. Just the spirit that this guy lives. I mean, what a great goal to be yeah. that age and still just on fire. And yeah. Just well, you're young. You, you got a lot of years ahead of you. You can do it. I do. I do. But I mean, what a great, what a great goal uh, yeah. to be just so into your, your, your life. Uh, I think it's pretty neat. I love that. Um, okay. So you grew up like me. We're a few of the rarities that grew up in Seattle. Yeah. Born and raised. Right. Born I met raised. my wife in, in, uh, at Shorecrest High School in Shoreline, Washington. I didn't and, know that. You know, public started school. dating and, and, and you know, left for college, but yeah, this is this is home. You guys started dating in high school. We did. Yep. Never, never looked back. Oh my goodness. Seven. There you go. So very long time. Yeah. No, for more, yeah. well, more now than half of our lives. So it's been, oh my it's been gosh. great. How would you describe that childhood? My parents did a, did a great job. Very stable, you know, childhood. Um, my dad worked hard. My mom. So my mom could just be there, you know, you know, and, and, and with us and supporting us, um, you know, they pushed us, pushed me, myself and my siblings. Certainly that the, the expectations were high. Um, and that I thought was helpful. I mean, it, it helps you figure out how to, how to stretch yourself, how to perform. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was, I could, I could not have asked for anything more. Uh, I was, I was very fortunate. I'm curious when you say pushed hard, and I'm asking this as a mom who's like, I don't know what I'll look back on and say, I could have, should have, would have done this differently. But like, when you say pushed us hard for learning, curiosity, achievement, like when you talk about that, like, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I mean, I would say all of those things is just at the end of the day, you know, and I have this perspective as well, but, you know, you want everybody to fulfill their potential, you know, and you want to, um, you know, teach your kids and, and, and help them understand that that is actually important to understand, you know, you have potential, a lot of potential and you have to grind, you know, and that so much of life in my view um, is just outworking other people and just, just grinding day after day after day and being tireless in a, in a certain pursuit. And I think the, that, you know, gets built into your DNA at a young age where you, and my parents, you know, certainly, you know, instilled that in me, which is you just keep going, 
you know, and you, you keep grinding and you push yourself to be as good as you can be. Yeah. And so, um, so there was, there was, again, there was high expectation just in terms of kind of how that I would lead that. into certain performance, but, um, yeah. but again, they did, they did a, a great job. I love that. My son's going into the state finals this weekend for lacrosse and he's a junior, like a big player. And I sent him a text yesterday going into, his, they won last night, but that said that saying that says luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. And I love that quote because it's like, you know, you can't just go in and wing it. You have to prepare. And Absolutely. he does. Like, and, and, that, and that is, that is life. I mean, that is life. You look at these, you know, these moments along the journey of building businesses and you could say, yeah, you know, that was, you know, and certainly there is luck involved, but it's really, you know, I think there's often these moments where luck can be involved and are you set up and ready to be able to take advantage of those moments you know, right. when they're, when they're presented. But I, I think that's life. I agree. Yeah. I love that. And so, um, I guess, are you friends still with a lot of your high school friends? And if so, would they be surprised to see that you're CEO of a publicly traded company? Mm -hmm. You've been an entrepreneur your whole life. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say how would they describe you? Lots of high school friends, but I have some of my best friends today, you know, are, are some of my, who my best friends were back in, in high school um, and our families are, are connected. I would say no, not at all surprised. Uh, I mean, I, at, you know, before high school even had started my first company. Um, you know, I had um, led and gone very deep into a number of things in high school, but, you know, our, our you know, school newspaper, you know, uh, took that over, ran that, grew it significantly and, and that had great, you know, uh, great uh, progress and, and won competitions. It, it was always, I don't know why I, even from being very young, I would do, you know, stands on the street and sell things, sell sand dollars. What were you, like, what were you motivated by? Because I've had a lot of people on here who were like, I came from nothing and I didn't want, I didn't want that for myself. I wanted to get out of my situation. And other people who are like, the thrill of the competition, like, do you know, like in reflecting what you were, I guess, super cheesy, but what fueled you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, um, I think it's the, the, the million dollar question, right? I think that it, certainly changes over time, you know, what motivates me. I, I, I know that that set of traits was just pretty innate in me from a young age. Like that's just how I was wired to not follow the rules or, you know, the normal, but to be able to, you know, to break through and kind of make things in the way that I would want to see it. Mm -hmm. um, and that came, that, that spark came very natural to me uh, and, and the ability to go and be creative and, and again, change, change things um, and start things. But the motivation behind that certainly has changed over time. I'm sure in those young years, you know, there's, you're just trying to still figure out who you are as a person, you know, and a human, and you want to, you know, look good and have people be proud of you and all those types of things that is very, very natural for humans to do. And then you get to another stage of life and, you know, you're trying to just start your career and you want to find success, you know, um, and, you know, there's a period of time where boy, getting a good, you know, financial outcome and being comfortable and taking care of your family, that's an, an important, you know, thing. But then it gets to a certain point in your life. And this is, you know, more where, where you, you want to do things that, you know, are, are create more of a legacy, you know, that you yeah. can look back on. I actually have old. a question around legacy there because it's true. Like you're creating so much impact and meaning. Yeah. And you want to make the world, you know, world better. You want to put your, albeit small, but your stamp, you know, on, on the world. You want to yeah. set an example for your kids um, in terms of, 
you know, somebody that they will, will look up to. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you want to, you want to do something when you're old. I might do actually, I'll just speak for myself. When, when I'm old, um, you look back and you're proud of what you yeah. did. And so I don't know, I don't know if yeah. there's one thing, but it, it, it kind of morphs over time in terms of what the motivations are. It's, um, I'm sure very apparent that your parents are probably extremely proud of you and have done a great job. And you said that they pushed you, but was school something like, were you academically kind of, um, was school easy for you? Or was it like, I have to work my ass off and out, outwork these other people? I think, I think it was, was both. It did come easy for me. Um, and I worked my ass off to, to do yeah. really well in school. Yeah. And so, yes, I did, I did well in school. I had, you know, I had a four Oh through school and, you That's know, amazing. I was able to go to the college of, uh, you know, I was hoping to go to and Is Stanford um, was the top choice. It was. Yeah. I had early admission to Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. How did you know? And how did you choose? And I'm asking this as a mother of a junior in high school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, for me, it was something actually, I, uh, I probably was wearing Stanford gear in elementary school. Like I oh, wow. reason, that was kind of something I wanted to, wanted to do, wanted to go to, you know, for quite a while actually. And so yeah. I was fortunate to be able to have that you know, work out. But um, I mean, great school, West Coast. You know, I'm a West Coast guy, and I can understand why somebody would make it very clear from a young age why they wanted to go there. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you have professors yeah. from Stanford that um, have really like inspired you or taken you under their wing? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, class to class. No, no, I wouldn't say take under the wing. Like it's not like I have these ongoing relationships after I had moved no, moved back up. But certainly at the time especially in the last couple of years where you're really deep into the courses that you care deeply, you know, mm -hmm. about, I mean, there was, you know, tremendous inspiration, you know, in terms of just kind of, again, forming the life that you want to form and the path that I would want to be on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm very appreciative. And what age did you realize, like, I didn't even know that entrepreneurial engineering was a thing. I think it's mm -hmm. the first time I've seen that. Well, it's not, I designed it. So, oh, um, cause I'm like, yeah. wait, I've never seen, seen engineering. I've not seen entrepreneurial no. engineering. No. Wait, what does that mean? I designed it. So, I mean, this is kind of, goes back to my personality a little bit, which you have, you know, relatively small set of students, you know, you have the ability to design your degree. And so that, that I, I made it up, you know, it's a combination of business classes, product design classes and computer science oh classes, my gosh. you know, formed into entrepreneurial engineering, which suited me, you know, suits me. Uh, it's brilliant. Everyone needs to take entrepreneurial engineering. I thought so and did too. you get a yeah. master's at the same time? I did. Yeah. I packed a master's into that fourth year at, at college, uh, which is management science engineering, basically it's business, uh, classic business. Wow. And so is that something that if you had to give advice to someone else, um, would you say that that's necessary? Like what of those things have, have been most impactful was it like specifically Stanford or specifically what you studied or the master's part? Yeah, I think, I think, um, I think the network of people that you build and interact with is dramatically more impactful than the, the specific courses, in my opinion. Uh, and so, you know, the people that I met, you know, I founded a first company with some of those, you know, people, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. And so I think surrounding yourself, going to a college when you're surrounding yourself with people that are both going to challenge you, um, you know, create new perspective, but also yeah, be like-minded people you want to be able to spend time with and do interesting things, you know, with, um, the courses are great, but the in my experience, anyway, the reality is you learn 98% in the world 
you know, as you actually you know, are doing real things in the world. Yeah. Uh, and, um, but, the, but the network is, is incredibly valuable. Oh, I'm sure. And so Porch is your third company that you've started, if I'm doing my research right. The first one was in high school. I want to hear about that business. And then you started your second company while you're at Stanford. Mm -hmm. um, and then Porch, and I want to hear about the whole entrepreneurial journey. I'm guessing you've never really even worked for anyone else. I, I, I um, yeah, little, little known fact, uh, but I, I've never interviewed for a job um, ever in my life. So I've, I've obviously interviewed lots of people, but um, you know, maybe when I'm done with Porch at some point, which is going to be a long way off, uh, maybe I'll just go do that for fun, yeah. but just, to, just to experience it. But no, well, I, you I, seem, I, you I, seem I, like you would still be able to have empathy for someone who's going through a job interview because it's, it is, and I always tell my team, like when you're interviewing people, I like, realize the nerves and realize like, the chaos for them of like the choices and am I coming off right? Am I selling myself right? So I know you're a great interviewer. I've actually heard that about you. So you, you figured it out on the other end. Yeah, you do it with, you get better and better as you go. Yeah. Um, but, so the uh, high school uh, business, so tell me all about that one. Yeah, so it's been, a, it's been a fun journey along the way. My first company I started when I was 14 years old. I it was a sports camp. Uh, you know, I, again, I was into, into sports. I had a brother who was, almost a decade younger than I was. And uh, the very first summer was for him and his friends um, and very small, uh, but it went well. You know, the parents liked the kids like it. And so then I put together a real business called All Star Camps. And over the next five years, scaled it up. It was actually one of my favorite jobs ever because uh, it ended up having, you know, sites across Western Washington, you know, lots of campers um, across these different, different, um, different sites. And it was just a great time to get out there. And, and what was to, it exactly? It was like, hey, the schedule or like, uh, what was what it? Was the, te teaching what kids it? how to play sports and how to apply lessons you learn from sports to become, become a, a better person, you know, at the end of the day. And so it was a, <laughs> an actual sports camp. And then when I got to, to Stanford, you know, the next business was um, a company called Thriva, which was a technology company to create software for event organizations like summer camps or like corporate events or like sports leagues. And that technology company had a really good run. We built that up, um, you know, bootstrapped it at a, at a, a, a very successful you know, exit um, when we sold the company um, four or five years after, after graduating from college and then, and then moved on to the next thing. And so you stayed on there and then I read in your intro, like grew that revenue. Is that kind of your special sauce? It sounds like you've got a little bit of everything. You're like, I'm product, I'm engineering, I'm like strategy, I'm biz dev. Like what is your, if you were to go get hired by someone right now, what role would it be? Well, I mean, if I were to get hired by somebody, it would be CEO. No, no, I don't mean that. I mean in a functional role that's not CEO because you're CEO. Yeah, you're wearing so I don't know. Many I don't know if I'm actually that great at like one thing. It's, I think that is what kind of what being an entrepreneur is. My experience, like you kind of have to be able to plug into everything. You know, in with the financial team and the models and figuring the business out. Clearly, your your you know strategy you know is right. You know, down the middle of what I you know I'm, I'm certainly focused on big partnerships, you know, and M&A opportunities. That's something I've always, you know, um, helped with and, and, and been, you know, good at. Um, but then in the teams of the product, you know, and helping to actually go and, and just build the businesses operationally. Um, so, but, but I suppose at the end of the day, what it comes down to is the companies get bigger and bigger is people. It's not like at this point, you know, I'm 
doing the work. I'm clearly right. not doing the work, you know, anymore at small scale. When you just start a company, you're, you know, in all of those things. You know, at this point, it's really making sure we have the right people in place, um, that you know, that the right, you know, right framework and structures in place for those people to be able to excel, and then simply supporting them, right? Being right. that sounding board as they need it to help them, you know, be great, you know, at, at their their jobs and making sure the company is clear on where we're heading, you know, and, and what we're trying to go and, and, and accomplish. Yeah. Um, that, you know, if you do that right, that, that accomplishes, you know, 80, 90% of what you need to accomplish. 100%. I was like, you're talking about like servant leadership, 100%. So when you sold Thriva, were you out looking to sell it or someone approached you? And um, I guess if so, what was that transition like? Because that's a scary thing, right? Like, am I going to have to now report into somebody? And what's that going to be like? Yeah. It, it, we had um, we had somebody approach us to buy the company. You know, it's one of those things you look back on. I look back on, um, you know, was it the right thing to do or not? I mean, clearly it worked out well. You know, it was also at a place where you know you have the opportunity to go and just continue to build a really successful company. Uh, we probably, I probably was not equipped, you know, at that point just uh, to go build a really big company. Like I, I was able to do the, the startup and scale it up, you know, successful, very profitable company going through that next four years with the acquirer where I was one of the few leaders of that company and just building that company up to thousands of people, you, you learn, you know, oh, how to so build much. companies at a bigger scale. Um, yes. you know, we took that company public going through that process, you learn a lot. And so then when I started porch, I just felt like I had, and you know, best of both worlds had experiences at, at early stage, had experiences later stage, and was was set up to be able to go build a much bigger company. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so let's talk porch. What was the original idea, and how did you come up with it? And then who did you first tell um, about your idea? Yeah. So before I even had an idea, I had the uh, almost the spirit you know, in, in mind, which is, hey, I wanted to go build something great. You know, the, the past companies were good companies. They worked out well, but they weren't great companies. They weren't these, you know, enduring companies. And I wanted to go test and see how good I was at the end of the day, you know, see if I was able to go and, and do it, you know, build something that, um, that would be that legacy company, you know, for me. And so then I, I kind of captured that, that spirit and then started, you know, thinking about what was the space, what was the problem to go and solve and looked at a number of, you know, big markets or this is before Uber, I was thinking about transportation, you know, uh, you know, that was an interesting category looked at. Uh, home, the home was one of those categories that I was looking at and um, just cause it's, it's people's largest asset in their lives and it's, you know, very painful. My wife and I started the process of, of building a home. And as we were going through that process, that really is what clicked it in for me to kind of become personally attached to that problem, where it was just very painful, you know, much more. What aspect of it was the like original idea? What was the problem you were trying to solve? Yeah. So, so um, at the highest level, we wanted to make the home easy. So we wanted to take, you know, again, people's largest asset in their lives and just make this journey that they have with their home simple. Um, you know, when people move into their home, it's exceptionally painful when you're taking care of your home on an ongoing basis with all the services you need to get done for your home. People don't know who to hire and the right, you know, the right professional and people are busy and it's at the right price. So 
just thinking about this, this journey, when we launched the company, this is one of those key mistakes, certainly, that I had, had made. This is something if you ask, what would I do differently? This would be a, one of those big ones. But I started you know, helping people to find the right professional. That's what we well, I'm, that's when I first met you, is that's what you were doing. And then I, yep. I think around the same time, like maybe pro.com was also, it seems similar, or like I knew both of you guys. I was like, the and a variety of others. Yeah. I mean, a Angie's List would have been Angie's a known List. brand yeah. back there. Um, Home Advisor, there's, there's companies that were larger. And we had our, obviously, our unique spin and we had you know, amassed unique data to be able to create a different experience for the consumer. Um, but at the end of the day, that's what we started with is okay, let's help people find the right professional for their home based on the specific value of their home, who works in that neighborhood a lot, you know, who their neighbors love. That's what we, that's what we launched. Um, and that was September uh, 17th, uh, 2013. Um, we launched the company um, and, you know, and Porch, Porch was born. Um, yeah. I still think that's, I mean, just that alone is super useful. I mean, it's not crazy as that to have that idea. It's, something we all want. For sure, for sure. There, there's a real use case out there. And we had, you know, good success over the first couple of years. We, you know, had uh, raised a bunch of money, had a bunch of, I built the team up, had real revenues. The business mm -hmm. was growing nicely, you know, got to, to eight figures in revenues with it growing well. But it was the challenge, why I say it was a mistake. It's not because that, you know, idea was fundamentally flawed on how we could help people. It's really um, being able to get a business model and structure in place around that problem to solve that was challenging. And what we, was we, the original business model? So we, we would have professionals pay us a subscription fee, basically an advertising you know, fee, to be able to be in front of these consumers that we bring into the system. And we were, you know, this is one of those moments of luck or, you know, or executing well when that opportunity presented itself. We had some great breaks. We had big partnerships like Lowe's, Home Improvement. Yeah. I remember when the Lowe's thing Lowe's happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so you got these things that you need in a, in a business like that to, to get the, the flywheel working, to start just being relevant, you know, in the world. And, and so we were able to, you know, pull off certain things that could get the business stood up and start building momentum for the company. And so we grew, we grew, we grew nicely over the first couple of years, but Two years in, uh, it was it became clear that it was going to be hard, very I would actually say impossible, to go and build a true long-term company, you know, and and you know accomplish this that core initial spirit that I was trying to accomplish because two two reasons: one, consumers when you would help them with a professional, you know, as it turns out, people don't hire that many professionals each year for their home. And so even when you would delight that consumer, you wouldn't see this step function change in you know, lifetime value of that consumer or them, them coming back. You have to go out and reacquire consumers every single time. And that just made that harder, one. Two, when we would go and, and you know, get paid from professionals, you know, it was very difficult to give those professionals you know, the right amount of value. Either we would give them too little and you'd see attrition, or you would have them be featured and they'd get a lot of work, but you wouldn't be generating enough revenue to be able to go and acquire enough consumers. And so at the end of the day, fundamentally, you know, the just poor unit economics of the business, you know, weren't at a place uh, that we could, and we couldn't improve them enough to allow the business to grow. 
you know, like we, like we wanted to. So that led to a, a pivot. And what was the pivot? So one of the harder moments for me, actually in my business career, the, you know, Porch was a private company, but very public facing. There's lots of PR, you know, it was, it was a known hot startup um, in the area. And it, back in October of 2015, you know, when that situation became clear, we said, okay, like, look, like, we have a good amount of cash. We can just keep going, you know, and try to make this thing work. But we're going to continue to burn cash, you know, better for us to pull back. And we, we you know, uh, fired 93 people, you know, 93 people um, to be able to just lower the burn rate and give ourselves more time to be able mm -hmm. to go and, and figure out what we'd have to do differently. What do we have to change for the business to be able to? You know, and how grow. much had you raised at that point and what stage of the raise rate? Was that at the A round? That would have been um, after the B round. After so I B led B. our seed round, Lowe's yeah. led our series A, and then we had outside uh, private yeah. equity lead so our series B. So you self-funded the business from the beginning? I, I led the first round of financing. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I participated in each round of financing along the way. Yeah. Um, but we had raised probably around $100 million total. You know, as of that point in time across those three. That's a shit rooms. ton of money to raise and, and to be in that position to be like, I mean, those are the tough decisions. And some people just don't have the discipline to do that and to look at it and pull themselves out of it and just say, okay, let's just look at the use case here of the, the actual business. Totally. Um, and it was super painful. <laughs> the reality yeah, is because it's, of course. it's not like painful because these people poured their heart and soul in the company and you care about these people. Um, it's also just embarrassing, right? I mean, you're, you know, it's a hundred percent on me, right? I mean, I'm the, the CEO of the company, you know, we made the wrong choices. We thought we had it, but we just didn't, you know, really mm -hmm. have it to be able to scale as fast as we were scaling. And that, it just, you know, it sucked. Um, yeah. You have to go and make that call, but you're right. I mean, you'd be, you, we could have waited and we would have been on a path, you know, where we would have kept going and you know, try to sell the company, you know, uh, two or three or four years later. I mean, that was almost certainly the path. Right. And what I was hoping to do is not to do that, but to go and build something big, you know, that, that, um, that's, that's again, that's enduring. Yeah. And so, so we made that call. Um, we, we stepped back and we got to work you know, over that next, you know, year uh, and even into two years uh, to, you know, start testing, find, start finding kind of the, the path, the changes to our, to our model that would be able to, to scale. And so you um, put together a board in the early days. Is it still the same board today? And if someone's listening that is a first-time entrepreneur and is wondering, like, how do you even vet a board or choose a board? Um, can you talk a little bit about why that's important? Sure. I mean, I think the most important thing in the early days um, in, as you're a private company is selecting the right investors. Um, and those tend to be the people that are, that are right. also on your board. Uh, the, but those are very unique moments and, and special moments in time when you're raising money. And I think lot, often, you know, entrepreneurs are just, you know, want, the, want that money in, which is understandable. Like you need to be able to get the fuel for the company. But it's so important to get the right money, you know, into the company, the people that are going to actually help you build the company. Uh, that are going to give you the right, the right sets of experiences. Um, we haven't been perfect you know, at that, but overall, you know, we brought enough of the right people you know, into the company that um, have been able to really, 
really help us. The board change has changed for us just over time. So as we, you know, the groups like Lowe's and our private equity firm, they would no longer be involved as you transition into a public company. Yeah. So we built yeah. out as a public company now, you know, an independent board, you know, that, that sits with me on, on the board. But uh, so then that would be not atypical to transition in the public markets, but, uh, but we had a fairly consistent board through the private company years. Mm-hmm. And so given that you've been through kind of this intense intensity from like starting the business to 2015, um, at what point along the way did you determine uh, what you were going to stand for as far as the company values and as far as how you looked at building a culture? And did you have to kind of rethink that when you were going back to build again? Or have you stayed kind of true to the same core values? I'd say this is one of the things that we did uh, best at um, and simply because of just you know having built previous companies you know being conscious of the fact of how important values are so even in the early days even you know in the basement of my rental house um, as we were just you know just 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 getting going we were already starting to talk about values who we want to be um, those values really hardened you know as we launched the company launched the site to get the right words you know down on paper. But I think having solidified those values, talking about those values, caring about it, um, you know, getting it uh, instilled into the DNA of the company, mm-hmm. uh, that as we then went through a tough period of time, uh, you know, we had a significant core of the company, you know, stay together. We did certainly not everybody. You know, we had had people leave that, that um, we would have loved to have stayed that couldn't see that light at the end of the tunnel, um, but. We had enough people, you know, really stick together and believe in what we were doing um, it, because of the values, I believe. And what, what are some of the values? And what was the process like to cement them, as you said? First thing you see up on the wall when you walk you know, in, into the office is no jerks, no egos. So we, and I believe, you can go do great things and you can be fundamentally kind. You can be a good human. You can be you both. Know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like mean, the talking, like you can do well and do good and yes. be good. Yeah. hundred yep. percent. Yeah. And be, be kind. Like you're never going to go into a porch, you know, meeting and have people right. swearing or yelling at each other. Like we're in it together. Like, and we're right. going to disagree and debate and like work through stuff clearly, but you know, look, we're, you're, you're all on the same, same side. Um, and yeah. you're, you're going to go work through this together and you're going to try to be kind to each other. That, that's one. Be ambitious. You know, is one. You know, from the very beginning, this even goes back to that choice of doing a pivot. It would have been normal, I would say, for most companies to just keep going and, you know, keep trying to, you know, build the momentum you can and then go sell the company. The whole idea of going through a pivot is really around just, hey, like, we are trying to go build something really big. We're trying to fundamentally change how people live in and take care of their homes. There's that whole experience people have um, and be that partner. Their home. We want them to think about our brand. If you play this forward five years from now, I think that you know we will be at a place where people will think about you know our our brand as something. As, as I do think you've done a great job with the brand, not just even the values part, but the the physical image of the brand. Like it feels intimate and it feels connected. Thanks. I mean, I it's a whole other story as how we chose that name, but it is the porch is this you know this authentic in between space between your private home and the outside world. Uh, and, and that that image of what people think about in terms of the porch, I agree, is that kind of special, that special space at home. 
So be ambitious is one, you know, that again, I think was important. Uh, solve each problem. You know, this, this goes to one of the very first things that we talked about actually today, which is just that, you know, that grit and that perseverance, you know, that is deeply instilled in me and it's been deeply instilled in the company. And I just believe this in both life and business, which is you are always going to have this next problem. Things are, things are never smooth. And what you do is you don't make it a bigger deal than it is. You just get to work and you just grind and you solve this problem. And then guess what's going to happen? As long as you're being ambitious enough, there's going to be another big problem. And you just yeah. go through and you work and then you work. Oh, I like and, then you it. Work. Um, and, and so that's something that I think in those moments where it's hard, it's just the next problem to solve. That's all yeah. it is, you know, yeah. and, and you just go, you just get to work and you just go solve it. So that, that's one uh, that we point to. Last two are care deeply uh, and together we win. You know, the idea that yeah. you know, we are all in it together um, and, and um, we're going we're gonna to win. We are competitive and we are, we are looking to win, but, uh, but we're going to do that together. Yeah. And is, have you been able to see over time kind of what makes someone successful at Porch? And if someone's listening and is looking for a job, like um, if it's like, hey, don't even bother applying if you X, Y, Z, or, or please apply if this describes you. Well, I would actually say uh, we've seen consistently over time the people that fit those values that I just described yeah. work. And so, and, and people that don't just don't, you know, we made, but how do you, you know, vet? It's super hard to vet for those things. Like how do you vet? Yeah. For so, so we, we've gotten better and better at that over the years. It's still hard in the interview process to know with certainty, but, um, but, you know, really try to um, unearth proof points, you know, around each of those values. So in a loop, we'll have a person who is specifically interviewing for one value around yeah. that person and trying to find stories and examples of where people either demonstrated that. I love that. And then is it a um, kind of top down, like the hiring manager gets the final say, or does everybody have to be on the same page? Or how does that work? So um, we have a, a, a scoring system, you know, for everybody that's involved in the loop. Um, it, 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 the hiring manager does get the final call unless there are multiple people that are below kind of the, the threshold you know, where, mm-hmm. um, where it's, it's, a, they, they'd be marking it essentially as a no hire. And if so, then no, you just pass, uh, right. make sure that we're raising the bar. Right. Interesting. And so how have you gone about attracting talent? Is it, are you well known enough now that you're getting a lot of passive interest and given where we are right now with this crazy, I mean, all of like Microsoft and, um, Apple just announced to, I think it was today, like everybody's like doubling down on salaries and, um, and equity. And just, it's so hard to compete. What are you doing to set yourselves apart? One thing that's changed a lot over the past four or five years for us is location. So at this point, I'll bet, you know, 10 or 15% of our team is in Seattle. Um, and we've really become location agnostic. Mm-hmm. And so we have a number of offices in a variety of cities, you know, in Texas, on the East Coast, and small one in, in California. But for the but we're hiring people everywhere, you know, mm-hmm. at this at this point. And so it opens up the pool of candidates, you know, for us. And we can also have people working for us that are just in lower cost locations, you know, just in general. But that's changed in the last two years. Like most everyone can say that. So then, yeah. how do you yeah. Yeah. how do you attract people? Like, what's the story that kind of closes the the gap on people being confused if they want to go to another, you know, company or if they want to just go to some huge company. Yeah. So it, it, it obviously depends on what people are, are looking for, but, um, but Porch has this unique 
mix of um, this culture, you know, where the, the people really like working, you know, like the people at Porch, you will form great connections with because they are, you know, special people with having huge growth and huge upside, but not a brand new startup, right? Um, that, that, you know, that there's just a lot of risk, you know, there. And so for us, we've, I actually feel very fortunate. We've been able to just continue to attract exceptionally strong, you know, people. And that begets hiring more great people, you know, at the end totally. of the day, you know, and yeah. so it just, it, it does build on itself. Yeah. And obviously, given you're a publicly traded company and there's more eyes on you, how have you approached um, uh, not just setting an intention, but putting to action a diversity and inclusion and kind of equitable pay um, culture? Yeah, it's, uh, it's something we had started on uh, before being public, uh, just making sure that we had visibility. At the end of the day, it, it starts with data, right? Having visibility into what you are doing. Some of our key leaders, you know, for a long time have been, you know, a, a diverse, you know, group of people. And so, you know, again, I think it, it then begets continuing to hire diversity, right? Yeah. And so for me, having some of those people that I've worked with in the past, even, you know, at Porch certainly helps, you know, helps us. It, I think this is something that you're in the journey about. Like most things in business, like you're never perfect. And you have yeah. to continue to work and you continue, you know, it's continuous, you know, continuous improvement, right? Just continuing to continue to get better and evaluate how you can improve. But we're, we're, at, a, we're at a good spot, you know, overall um, yeah. in terms of kind of how we're, how, how we're hiring and how we're, how, we're, how we're doing there. I'll say being a public CEO is different than being a private you know, CEO. I, I'll say I personally, which I think surprises people when I tell them this, but I actually have liked it better. So I have had more fun over these last couple of years, um, 18 months, really, of being a public CEO than I have previously. Um, the stresses are very different. You know, before as a, a private company CEO, I was spending a lot more time just, you know, thinking about how we were going to survive, right? What's the next, you know, funding milestone? And, you know, and, and now, you know, we have capital, you know, companies in a solid place. But there's different level of stresses, like the market. The market, like our company is doing really well. Yeah. But there's these outside forces, this literally daily or to the second ticker that yeah. just has no connection short term with how businesses are actually performing. And so that, that can be, you know, a real distraction for the team. Yeah, right. You know, fundamentally what I believe is, you know, put all your energy and focus into building something and creating real value. And then that will show up you know, over, yes. over time. So independent of that, you know, being a public CEO is great. Even still put that aside, you know, the, yeah. the noise in the market, like that is just noise. And, right. and, and our ability to go build a public, great public long-term company and um, hire great people, um, be able to, to um, incent them appropriately. You know, all of that is easier, I would say, as a public company. I can see that. So I don't think I realized before researching um, Porch more for this podcast, because I feel so connected to Porch. And I was like, holy shit, they have done so much that I wasn't even aware of that you've, you know, gone, you started to talk about the original business model and then gone into like insurance and real estate transactions and mortgage refinancing and all these other aspects through lots of acquisitions. Um, it looks like just from quick research that insurance has been a really good bet. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, insurance is is the most valuable service in the home, 
And, right. and, you know, it's one that recurs. So, you know, what was it six years ago when I was talking about making the pivot, um, we again realized that consumers when they're hiring a professional, just don't hire that many more professionals. Well, we started thinking about, okay, what are the most valuable services in the home? Mm -hmm. right, the highest LTV services in the home. So you start to think about insurance or home warranty or TV and internet service or security and home automation or moving. These are very valuable services that consumers will purchase. So then we started thinking about, okay, when are those services purchased? And almost exclusively, these services are purchased in this pre-move phase. So you, you find a new home to purchase. And before you're moved in, you get insurance set up for that new home. You're going to get the TV and internet set up. You're going to hire movers. Like you do, you do all of these things in this moment where you're getting this new home prep, you know, to be able to move into it. That was a real, that was one of those light bulb kind of moments. Like, okay, great. That, if we can meet the consumer really early on in that home buying process, you know, there's an opportunity for, for us to be well entrenched with the consumer at the beginning of this journey and help them with these really valuable things that they need and to make this move easy for them. That was one, one aha. A second was, okay, well, really hard to go out and use direct to consumer channels, Google, et cetera, to go find those consumers uh, and very expensive if we tried to go and do that. So how do we go and find those consumers? Well, what, what a key choice that we made that really has helped, you know, um, explode our business is let's go uh, provide, instead of doing direct to consumer marketing, let's go sell software to companies that are going to be working with that consumer at that moment in time when they've just Ooh. found a new home. And so we started selling software to home inspection companies. You know, we've expanded that to selling software to title companies, to mortgage companies, to moving companies. And what's happened, we now have more than 25,000 companies that we sell our software to with just very strong leadership positions in these different key vertical markets, 28% of all of the home inspections that happen in the country are managed through our inspection software. Or more than 30% of all the US home buyers are, go through our title software. You know, a million loan applications through our mortgage software each year. So, so these are almost have, like little mini companies, like Perch Group is like a holding company for almost like all these little mini companies. Yep, that provides software to these businesses. That's right, right. And, then, and then these businesses pay us for the software. But, but then what we do also is we get introduced and in access to these home buyers, right? So now we help these consumers, to your, your point, get insurance set up for their home, right? right? And get the TV and internet coordinated. And so insurance has grown very, very rapidly for us and some of these other services. Yeah. I was looking um, at but, your but, quarter but one report. has worked well. <laughs> I was looking at the Q1 reports and I was like, oh my gosh, A, good job. And I'm super psyched for you. But B, yeah, it did show that like that insurance segment um, was performing really, really well. And yeah, so- because when I'm thinking about it as like, oh, hey, you're my friend. I want to give you business. Like we've been in our home 10 years. We kind of already have our people um, established. So it made me think like, who is the, um, the profile? Is it a first time homeowner? Um, because your pivot has made it so that it's everybody. Yeah, it's really, it's anyone who is in the moment of buying a home. So the next time that you go and, and, and are going to move and are going to buy a new home, you know, the reality is you have all your existing people for your current home, but once you need to go to your new home, you have to get a totally new insurance policy. You're gonna have to go and see if you need a home warranty for that new home. Clearly you're gonna have to get your TV and internet set up at that home get a mover to help schedule you from this home to the next. Um, and so during that process where there's so much change for that consumer, but well, we can just simply say, hey, look, 
This is a free service that's provided by your home inspection company or by your mortgage company. You know, it's simply going to make this whole process easy for you. So imagine that you're a CEO and you have a corporate relocation and everything's just handled for you. We're going to provide you that whole experience for free. So we'll bring you every quote from all the different insurance companies so you can compare how much things cost and get the best one. We'll bring you quotes from all the different moving options so you can figure out if you want full service, just handle everything, or you just want two people to show up and help you carry the heavy stuff into the couch. Um, we'll show you all the TV and internet options and price points and the current discounts and promotions. You can just pick which one you want to have set up. Um, so we, we lay this all out for the consumer and make the whole process super easy for them. Uh, and, and that's a very high satisfaction experience for these people during a very stressful time. Yeah. Oh, wow. I just love this pivot. I'm like, you kind of have your hands and everything, but in a, in a way that you're becoming um, just such a necessity. Like once they get a little piece of this, those companies are never going to not use your software. Because that's right. Yeah. You lock, you lock yourselves into you're these companies in. yeah. Yeah, who continue to use your software. And, you know, you become this, well, again, what our goal is to become this real partner for that consumer. Yeah. where we can make their home and this, this experience they have easier. Are there any bets that you've made that have been um, like rut row? This was a mistake. Or can you say that? More recently over these past, you know, four years, as we kind of really, you know, understood the strategy, not that many um, key poor choices. I think we've, we've gotten a lot better at capital allocation and capital deployment. Um, we're much more data um, focused on what the returns are going to be on that capital. You have little mistakes, little hiring mistakes here and there, certainly. Uh, but the core strategic choices and where we've kind of made bets um, have, have worked well for us. Yeah. Well, clearly, I'm excited about it. Um, so how are you um, spending when you do have downtime? And how are you, like, I guess, just completely unplugging and giving yourself, like, mat time, not family time, not work time, but, like, regroup time? Well, I'll just say when I, you know, I spend more of my time now here, which is in my office at my house than in the physical office. We're doing hybrids, certainly, but I spend more of my time here. And the best thing is I walk up the stairs and, you know, I've got an 11, 8, and 5-year-old. My 5-year-old will just dive bomb me, grab me, and take me to wrestle, my, my, my young girl. And so, you know, that is that is the best stuff in the world uh, are these, these moments with them. But separate from kids, you know, the things I love to do is still, still actually play sports. And so I love to compete. Uh, so, you know, playing on a tennis team, playing on a basketball league, like that's, that is the stuff that is the release for me, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to go and just push your body to the max and yes. um, just enjoy, enjoy those moments. Okay. So my final question is what fuels you? Two things I would say. One is um, just this, fuzzy picture in my head of um, doing something that I'll look back on when I'm old and, and proud of. I have a picture in my head of, or this, this just feeling, I suppose, of wanting to do something where I feel, you know, uh, deeply proud of, you know, accomplishing something great, mm-hmm. you know, and so that, that legacy, you know, is something um, that, um, that fuels me. The second thing is, you know, my, my family and, and kids, um, you know, wanting them to be, you know, deeply proud of their dad, you know, set an example, you know, for, for them in the best way that I can. Um, and, you know, that goes to not only what you do, but how you do it. 
Um, and, and really it's the, those two things fuels me. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. 